Good morning. Well, over the uh, next couple weeks, uh, we're going to be doing a sermon and thinking through um, what happens when we worship. What is it that we do when we gather and um, what happens as uh, we sing? And that's going to be a little bit of a a precursor. We're going to be doing a class on worship starting next week. I'd love for you to be part of that. It's at 930. It's going to be an intergenerational class, so involving uh, all ages. We'd love for you uh, to be involved in that, so please come and and join us. I know 930 sounds scary, but you can do it. Uh, Trust me, you can. Uh, You can make it. But it's going to be a really good discussion about what it is that we're doing during this time, our gathering uh, on Sundays, and that led me to think a little bit about uh, singing. And if we're honest about our singing in the Church of Christ general mindset. If you aren't too familiar with the Church of Christ denomination, we're a pretty logic-based denomination where we just think through it. And our idea is, you know, if, well, if I could just reason with you and like show you the scriptures, then you would come to agree with me. And we'd all just be in perfect agreement and we would all figure this out. And so that is basically what our movement is. It's a movement that's a lot based on, on reasoning. And we would say that um, our time of preaching and our time of of communion especially are very important as we gather together. And I'm not saying that they're not, but if we're honest, I think we don't think too much about our singing. It's almost, to put it a little bit probably too crassly than we would be comfortable with, it's almost filler. Like, you know, you do your three songs and then you do the important thing. You do another three songs, you do the important thing, or you do a song while you're gathering people as you're doing things. And we don't necessarily think through just how important it is and how transformational singing can be. And we have been blessed, I think, recently, the last few years in our church, just being more intentional about our worship. And it's been a huge blessing for us. I'm very thankful for um, Jamie leading today. And even a very small glimpse of that was singing that song during communion, having our worship team leading us in the back. And we were all moved while we took communion in a special way by those words, right? And there's something so powerful that happens when we sing. And I think it's important for us to think through what actually is going on In this moment, because one of the things that singing does is it allows us to to get to a different place. It draws us into a deeper reality. It helps us to think through the fact that we can reach into a different space. Imagine that we only could sing literal songs. Like just black and white. Yeah, I already said, oh Lord, but I wrote one um, and I'm going to sing it to you um, right now. (laughs) I didn't write... I only, I'm only, only going to sing you the first verse, because that's all I have. The, the. All right, so this is my song to God. I can't see you, and if I'm honest, talking about a divine being that's three in one, it's kind of hard to understand, but nice. You got that wrong. But sometimes life ain't paradise. You died for us. Must be time for the chorus. And then we'd get on, we'd get on to like, what, what, just a thank you. Yeah, wrap it up quick. That's about, all, that's about all I can do. Just imagine, though, that this is what we sang, that we got together and it was just like, well, we're just going to sing like black and white truths about God. But oftentimes, if we're honest, as Church of Christ people, that's what we think. We think, like, oh, if we just black and white reason them, then they're all just going to come to faith and belief when we know that there's an emotional side to our faith. And there's things that really we can't describe to our faith. So we sing some of the songs, I mean, just a few examples, but one um, that came to mind is, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me, right? And even those words don't really cover it. Wonderful and marvelous do a a decent job of getting us a little bit there, but even that, the words don't necessarily do it justice. How marvelous, 
How wonderful. And so we come week after week, and singing is not just filler. It's us coming together and proclaiming deep truths about reality that we believe to be true. And sometimes it's us leaning into those things together. And one part of singing that I think we almost take for granted is the fact that every song has a beat or a meter or or groove to it. So if you're at the gap, you'll notice that um, every song is 190 beats per minute. And that must be because the kick drum just makes you want to buy things. I don't know what it is, but it's like, make that decision right now. Like you're in the club or something. You got to make that decision. Or if you were to go to Starbucks and Starbucks is playing some soft jazz in the background that just says, hey, stay here for a while. Buy a few rounds of coffee. Work on that movie script that you've been working on for years and never really is ever going to go anywhere, but you can keep just typing at it. And buy a few rounds of coffee. And you know what? We even have breakfast and lunch. So stick around all day if you want. The beat and rhythm of music makes a huge difference. And we see that as well in our churches as we are led by our, our worship team and by our worship leaders in worship when we sing a song. And it's actually something that is beautiful that happens. So let me give you an example of that. So here's a song that we commonly sing that you should know. So join in with me. It's not Brian's song this time. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Isn't it amazing that we can do that? And I said just a few words, and you guys were all with me, and we were all on the same beat and rhythm. And there's even a point where I didn't sing, and you guys kept the thing going on your own. What's beautiful about what happens when we communally sing, and it's a bit of a weird thing because we generally probably only sing happy birthday or maybe stumble through Auld Lang Syne at New Year's. We don't really communally sing all that often anymore. But when we do it here together, one thing that we start to see is that the leader might lead for a note or two, but then everybody joins in and we all carry it together, which is so important. Because really, I would say that singing is an act of mutual submission. We sometimes take a little bit of a lead here and there. There might be a group of people that takes a minute of a lead, but then we all are kind of singing together and submitting to this common beat and rhythm. And the same thing happens when I'm preaching. It is such a joy to be able um, to to preach for you um, on Sunday mornings. It's a huge blessing uh, for me. Uh, Because when I preach and when I prepare a sermon, I'll do the sermon a few times before I do it on a Sunday morning. Uh, And when I'm doing that, it just doesn't feel quite as good. 
It doesn't feel the same. And there's sometimes when I'm like, this is just horrible. I think I'm just, this is not going to be very good. But then when I get a chance to speak it in front of you, and I see you guys nodding your head, some of you taking notes, and it's okay for the couple who nod off. It's all right. It happened happened to Paul, too, so I'm in good company. Um, That's all right. So it's, it's all good. But as I see it resonating with people's lives, and they're thinking through it, and they're like wrestling with it a little bit, it's awesome. And I'm so thankful for that. Oh, my friend who is an African-American preacher who preaches in a predominantly African-American church. He says, I don't know how you white people do it, because at my church, and I'm just in the introduction, I've already got 50 amens, and people are just powering me through this. And he said, the most you get out of white people is like a head turn, and like, hmm, I, you know, I should think about that. And I'm thankful, though, for the few amens I get and the head nods. Like, I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that I get to, to see you guys resonating with it. And so in the, the preaching moment, when, when we're gathered and when you guys are, are hearing me talk, there is still something that's very communal, I believe, that's happening there. Uh, but it's even more apparent, I think, when we sing. Because your voices are so necessary and your voices are beautiful and important. And I think in an individualistic culture that says, like, my way needs to be how things are, One of the greatest things that we offer when we come together and we worship is we remind ourselves that, one, we aren't the center of the universe, and two, that you aren't alone. And some Sundays, it might just be a drag for you to get here, and you barely made it here with what's going on in your life. Maybe it's something that's really painful, and you need other people to help you sing on that day. We get reminded week after week in how we sing that we aren't alone, and that we aren't the center of the universe. And as we sing, I think it also is a layer deeper than that. We talked about, um, during our Christmas series, the beautiful song that Mary sings in Luke chapter 1. The Magnificat, which is so beautiful, we actually sang it this morning. And uh, some of, just some of it say, My soul praises the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He took notice of his lowly servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. We think of Mary typically, I would argue, as, as obedient, and someone who is willing to listen to God's voice, which is 100% true. But one thing that I think we fail to recognize about this song that she sings, and in fact, when the song continues, she talks more about how the rulers will be taken down from their thrones. God is on the side of the lowly. God is on the side of the oppressed. God doesn't forget the people that sometimes those in power forget. So one thing that we see in the song of Mary that we might not recognize typically is it's it's subversive. It's saying, you know, you might be in power for a while, but you're not going to have it forever. And in fact, it might last your entire lifetime, but sometime your life is going to end. And God doesn't forget the lowly ones. This is sung by a girl who likely was 12 or 13 years old someone who had literally no power in her society. It's subversive. It's saying God's kingdom is the one that's actually going to last. Because Herod, he's on the throne now. And some person's on the throne in different parts of our nation, different parts of the world that we sometimes are worried about and afraid of, but that power is not going to last. 
you think of the song of Mary, the Magnificat, it's a little rage against the machine. It's bow, wow, you know, that song. And it's like, it's saying, you know, this is not how it's going to be forever. And that's one thing that I think we do when we sing together. We remind ourselves of the kingdom of God that is eternal and forever and will never pass away. Tomorrow we get to celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the things that um, MLK said was important about the ways that he and his companions were able to nonviolently resist is they would get together before they would do their marches and their walks, and they would actually practice nonviolent resistance in churches. They would have people who were their friends who would come together and throw things and kick them and do all this stuff, and they would practice nonviolent resistance, and always included that in that was a, a word that someone would get up and share, but also singing. They would gather and they would sing about the fact that the world as it was at that time is not going to be the way the world always will be. And praise God for that. That the way the world was then, it's not going to be like this forever. And in fact, this is not God's design or God's hope for the world. When we sing together, it is a subversive act. It's saying and reminding all of us collectively that the current kings and queens and rulers of our nations and in our world, their power is temporary. And we get to remember that as we sing. Just last week, um, Oprah, I think, spoke prophetically at the Golden Globes about some of the corruption and things that have come out in Hollywood. And as she spoke, I think she touched a nerve because she basically said, we ain't having this anymore. The way things have been, and those of you who are in power, watch out because it's not going to be like that forever. I think that is what we do when we sing, if we're doing it right. That our world is filled with pain and anxiety and heartache and sorrow, but as we sing, we dream of a day and we strive together for a day when we won't be filled with pain and heartache. And we remind ourselves that it's not just our own strength or our own power that we rely on. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says this this way, and I think this is, is brilliant. Oh, wow, that is a, a reading test. Um, <laughs> you have to really want it. Uh, we're we're experiencing, experimenting with some new software, so... Um, <laughs> The empire or culture of the day knows that people who can boldly sing have not accepted the status quo. When we sing, we say, no, this is not how it has to be. As we see pain and brokenness in the world, we don't pretend like it's not out there. We don't pretend like it doesn't exist. But when we boldly sing, we declare the reality of God. That the kingdom of God was and still is. We collectively do that together week after week. In Psalm 8, uh, it's a beautiful psalm. I don't have the, the words on the screen. If I did, they might be too small anyway. But in Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. 
When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you have made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you have made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Psalm 8 begins with this concept that the majestic name of God fills the earth and then reminds us of that at the end. But yet, the psalm says, you use mere mortals. You use broken people to do your work in the world. You choose people who over and over again you wouldn't expect to do your work. In the world, God is big and powerful and mighty and strong, but we have been given a great responsibility. In a world that has too much starvation and things like child abuse, we remember who God is when we worship. And we're drawn deeper into the reality that God calls us into, to be part of God's solution in the world. And a word that we sing almost every single Sunday, in fact, we just sang it um, in the Angus Die song, the word holy is a word we use almost every single Sunday. And that's a word that is very profound if you think about it. It's saying that there is this, this holy God, this God who is um, pure without stain or impurity. We sing that word, which is kind of unbelievable, isn't it? That we would believe, even in the brokenness that exists in our world, that there is a holy God. There's a God who watches over everything. And one of the things we do is we sing together. So we say words like holy. We say words like how marvelous, how wonderful. We draw ourselves deeper into the reality that is more beautiful than we could have hoped for. That God gives the call of holiness to us, fragile, broken human beings. And Paul would call us clay pots. But God continues to work through us. And so we gather week after week and we say words like holy. Because we believe that truly is worth giving our life to. When it's really dark in our world, we speak of light. When there's too much death in our world, we remember the resurrection. We gather and we sing to each other to help press into things that we deeply believe to be true. When we think about music, it's hard for us to even realize how much it's transformed in the last 200 years. Because over the last 200 years, it, it's changed to be that really there's just kind of pop music and there's all this music that's created. But really 200 years ago, the church and Christianity was the only group making music. There were folk songs and some things that were on the side, but generally, if you're talking about music, it was something that was done by the church for gatherings of church people. And sometimes it was to be sung, sometimes it was uh, to just be played and appreciated. But now it's almost completely the opposite, isn't it? There's all of this music that comes out, and there's a little bit of Christian music that's a little bit weird, you know? We have, like, the Christian version, like, when I'm a child of the 90s, so we had the Christian version of the Backstreet Boys, basically, that came out after the Backstreet Boys. 
uh, were really popular. You might remember uh, some of these artists, the newsboys. I wouldn't say they, they were like that. Uh, or you might remember Carmen, Mission 316. You know, that's a bit of a weird song and a dramatic look on his album. But generally, now it seems like Christian music is just trying to catch up with pop music. You know, it's like there's the really popular music, and then the Christian music comes a little bit behind it. But for really most of the time since Jesus was around, it's been the other way, that Christian music was made, and it was always intended to to draw people into a deeper reality. And music, unfortunately, I think, has become a bit of a commodity. It's become something that, that we see as that we own. And in fact, even today, we don't have to buy the whole album that someone produces because usually don't like the whole album. You can only like buy one or two songs, and then you have them, and you can take them with you wherever you want. And typically, we enjoy music when we think about music. It's just like this. You know, you just put on your headphones, and it's whatever you like. And you have a very personalized experience of music. You just walk around, and you listen to whatever your favorite artist is, and you get and experience exactly how you would like it catered to you. In fact, there was a story in the LA Times which actually resonated with me because I probably would have done the same thing. Uh, Let me read that to you. It was uh, from a few years ago. Uh, Are we going really small again? (laughs) Chen, I'm not using this software anymore. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So the title of the article was Woman Fights Off Knife-Wielding Robbery to Save iPod. So, 27-year-old Glendale woman successfully fought off a knife-wielding robbery suspect to save her iPod, according to police. The victim was walking along the street when another woman threw her arm around the victim's neck. Police said the attacker warned the woman that if she screamed, she would cut her and showed a four- to five-inch knife. The two struggled over the iPod, but the victim regained control and ran away, police said. And that article is crazy enough because it's like someone fighting for control from their iPad, but it, iPod, but it's even better because it's one of our church members. Uh, it was um, Cagney, my sister-in-law, who runs our Bible Adventures now. So if you're worried about your kid's safety, like, don't worry. Uh, she, is, uh, she is hardcore. So make sure and ask her about that because uh, it was uh, pretty, pretty fantastic. And she said that moment happened, and this was several years ago, um, so she, like, didn't have all her music backed up. We have easier ways to back up things now. But she didn't have all of her music backed up, and this girl came up with this long knife and was threatening her, and was, Cagney was about to give it up, but then she's like, wait, this is my whole life right here. This is, like, <laughs> all my music. And so she just, like, t- took one more grab at it and ran away. And I'm telling you, back then, I probably would have done the exact same thing because that was, like, so valuable. You had, like, years and years and years and years of music. And generally, I think that's how we see music, right? We see it as, like, you know, it's, it's mine. It's whatever speaks uh, to me, and we can take it wherever we want to go, and we just pop on our headphones. And I think there's power in that. Of course, there is some really significant stuff that comes from having music, but it's a completely new concept that music would be a commodity. Because until very recent history, it's always been something that people would gather and listen to. And you might have been to a, a concert, maybe at the Rose Bowl, with like thousands of people. And at some point, the artists encourage you, everybody sing along with this song. And you're so moved. And at the end of the show, 
If I was to ask you what that felt like, singing along with tens of thousands of people, you might reach for a word like spiritual. Because I think it is. You might think, I can't believe the Dixie Chicks touched me in that place. I can't believe that <laughs> that happened. I saw my, one of my favorite examples, examples of that. My friend had been to a show, and he posted on Facebook. This was several years ago. He's like, I just went to the most moving concert ever. Thank you. So, I just, so people were crying. It was beautiful. Thanks, train. And I was like, whoa, train? I didn't know that... Uh, I, I like train all right, but I didn't know it could be um, that moving. But that's exactly what music does, isn't it? I think it's supposed to move us. It's supposed to take us to a different place. And even if it is secular music, sometimes it does inspire you to think of yourself in a different way or to reach for something higher. But that's what the intention of music is. Sociologists have done studies of um, preliterate uh, people groups, and they've noticed that these tribes that haven't been affected uh, by any sort of society or culture, one thing that almost every single one of these tribes, they say 95% of these tribes, will spend, 90 or not, spend, spend a good 60 minutes to 90 minutes of singing every single day. Even the men. And these groups, they just get together and they sing. It's like it's just something that's inside of us. There's something primal about this need to sing. So I would argue that the fact that our culture a bit thinks of singing as, as weird and a little bit odd, I think we're just really, really out of practice. That there's something deep inside us that longs to sing together that longs to be lifted up together in community. Because as we sing, we remember that we aren't the center of the universe. Praise God for that. That we aren't alone. And that as we gather and as we worship, we remember collectively that there is a holy God. A God who watches over us and who invites us to live out a better reality. So we affirm things like hope. We affirm things like love and resurrection. That even as we are still broken and as our lives aren't put together, we strive together to seek the one who is. I'd like to thank a, a special group of people who help to remind us of that every single week. So if you have ever sung on our worship team, come on up right now, even if you're not singing today. Come on. Kathy looks thrilled. Come on. Fred, come on from the back. Yeah, you guys have sung before. Get up. Come on, you guys have sung before. Come on. And as, as a church community, I just want to say thank you to you guys. Thank you for blessing us week after week with your time and your talents. Thank you for the practice hours that you all put in and dedicate to make our worship the best that it can possibly be. Uh, as I said, there's some Sundays where some of us just barely drag in here to um, get here to the church. 
I know that day is sometimes true of you guys as well, and you're leading that day. <laughs> so thank you, especially for moments like that when you barely got here, but you're able to stand up in front of us and lead us in worship. Because you inspire us, you help to carry us, and you help us to lean in to remember the holiness of God who loves us and cares for us. And in the ways that you use your talents to bless our community, uh, I just want to say that they're acknowledged and that a little bit of clapping probably isn't enough. But I want you to know how much you all mean to us and how blessed we are uh, to hear your voices because you remind us of significant truths about ourselves. And I want to say that your singing is not filler. (laughs) Your singing is just as important as communion. Um, It's more important than my sermon. But it is a way that you help to draw us into the deeper realities of God. You help us to remind, remind all of us of the truths of Scripture, and we're deeply thankful for all the ways that you guys do that. So let's stand together and give them a hand. And Shen, if you go run, learn the last PowerPoint, then we can just, uh, you guys can stay up here and sing this last song. Yeah, you're welcome. Now stay up here, stay up here. <laughs>